0: Alright, we are going to continue our series today in in the book of Acts, and we'll be in Acts chapter 3. So why don't you go ahead and take your Bibles and find your place there in Acts chapter 3. We've uh, we've been on this journey for several weeks, and we're only two chapters in. So I just need you to know we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. Today we'll cover the whole chapter of Acts 3, and we'll be picking up in chapter 4 next week. So if you want to be studying and reading along during the week, you can follow along like that. Um, today, I want to talk to you about how King Jesus heals. King Jesus heals. I know we're in Acts 3, but uh, for th- Acts 3, 4, and 5, one of the centerpiece verses that I really want to challenge us as a church to memorize together is the verse I put at the top of the, uh, the worship guide, the sermon notes. If you didn't get a copy of the sermon notes, I think we have some extra ones Left. If you didn't get a copy and you want one or you want to follow along, just lift your hand. Will you Will you do that? We have them down front here. If you'd, if you'd like a copy, lift your hand and we'll make sure to get one to you. That's just a helpful way for you to follow along. Um, I learned a long time ago that if I hear it, I might remember it. If I hear it and see it, I, there's a better chance I'll remember it. If I hear it, see it, and write it, I might really re- be able to recall what I'm thinking. So... That's the reason I give that to you, because I really want these things to get into our minds and into our hearts. So here's the verse I want us to memorize together. Uh, We're going to put it on the screen, I hope. Acts 4, verse 12. And this is what it says. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men. By which we must be saved. Can you guys read that aloud with me? Because I want us to learn this one. Over the next three weeks, we'll say this each week. Hopefully it gets in your heart. Ready? Here we go. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we're talking about healing and specifically we're talking about healing in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus This uh, scripture we're going to read today is long so I'll let you remain seated for, for today, okay? It's a it's a little bit of a lengthy passage. 30 almost 30 verses, but I want us to read together, okay? Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is about three in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that was called the beautiful gate. He was there to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as if as though by our power or piety we have made him walk? No, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses and his name And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Oh God, give us eyes to see and hearts to comprehend what you want to say to us today from your word. Lord, we need the truth. We are sanctified by the truth. We are set free by the truth. So God, please speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There is a um, pretty famous verse in this passage that a lot of people quote. Uh, it's a, the verse early on in the, in the chapter. Silver and gold have I none, uh, but what I have I give to you. I don't even know that verse. Anybody know that verse? All right, so uh, a buddy of mine was church planting in, uh, in a college town. He had a lot of college students. was starting a church. It was very exciting. You know? Everything was uh, super exciting. And... Uh, one day uh, after the sermon um, and after church, the elders of the church were sort of counting the money and sorting things and trying to you know, make sure the money got to the bank and all of that. And they were going through the offering plate, and in the offering, there was a, uh, a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit um, still in the wrapper. And uh, so when they opened it up, there's like two or three bites out of the uh, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. And written on the wrapper was... Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Um, I always thought that story was hilarious. Um, please don't do that this morning. Uh, but I always thought that was funny. So that's, that's a, a great verse to remember what Peter says to this lame man who's at the gate uh, called beautiful. But here's what we need to see. Um, we, we will see that there's in this passage, it really divides evenly into two sections. You have this incredible miracle and then you have uh, this message. So uh, the miracle gives Peter a platform to proclaim the message of the gospel. So we're going to break it down that way. Miracle and message. But what I want us to see is the emphasis on the name of Jesus. I don't know if you saw that, but when Peter speaks to the lame man at the gate, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And then when all the crowds are like, what in the world just happened? How did this happen? And they're all sort of um, giving praise to Peter and John. Peter says, hey, don't look at us like we did this. We're mere men. You need to know um, this was done in the name and by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And so there's this idea of what does it mean in the name of Jesus? Most of us, when we pray, uh, we've been taught from our childhood to end our prayers with that um, sort of tagline. I hate to say it that way, but that's how we've been taught. You know, you you pray whatever's on your heart, and then at the end of your prayer, you say what? In the name of Jesus, right? It's almost like the the stamp that gets the letter on. Up to heaven, right? It's what you say that sort of um, makes sure the prayer gets there. But that's not what is meant. So today and next week and even the next week, we're going we're to think out this idea of what in the name of Jesus means because it's a massive emphasis in this passage. Even our focused scripture that you're going to memorize with me, Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no other name. Right. The emphasis is on the name of Jesus. So what does that mean? If you're following along with your sermon notes, here's what it means. When we say in the name of Jesus, what we mean, what is meant in the scriptures is this under his authority. By his power and for his glory. Think about that when you're praying and you come to the end of the prayer and you're getting ready to say in the name of Jesus. Even today, when you're sitting down with father or grandfather or whomever, family's gathered around for lunch and somebody's saying the prayer, whoever's praying, when they get to that last expression in the name of Jesus, I want you to think under his authority, by his power and for his glory. That's what is meant in the scripture by the expression in the name of Jesus, what it means. And then here's what it shows us, at least two things. And I didn't give you blanks, but just write this out. Here's what it shows. It shows first Jesus is alive and Jesus is at work. The things that we're doing, the thing that we're saying, we're doing it and saying it in the name of the living Lord Jesus. We're doing it and saying it according and by his power. And we're doing and saying it for his glory because he's alive and he is at work. You know, Luke, when he writes Acts, he begins this book by saying, um, Theophilus, in my first book, which was his gospel, Luke's gospel, he says, I told you of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. What he's he's saying there, what's implied is in this book, I'm going to tell you all that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach. And he's continuing it through his people, through his church. So church, when we do or when we preach or when we um, show kindness or love or we model the love of Jesus or we help someone with addiction or we share the gospel, we're doing those things and saying those things. In the name of Jesus. Under His authority. By His power. And for His glory. Amen? Amen. I want that to sink into your heart. That's what the Scripture means. At least that. When it says, in the name of Jesus. Let's take a look at the first part of this passage. The miracle. What we see here. Point number one. We see. Crippled legs are made strong. Crippled legs made strong. This man was, the Bible says, lame from birth in verse 2. And then we discover over in chapter 4, verse 22, that he was more than 40 years old. So I want you to think for a moment about a man who has been lame, never has had the use of his legs, for over 40 years his legs are atrophied they're weak they're limp his feet have never borne the weight of his body never and in this moment Peter sees him locks eyes with him and in the name of Jesus under the authority By his power and for his glory, he says to him, rise and walk. And he reaches his hand down and lifts the man up to his fragile feet. And the Bible tells us a miraculous thing. Look in verse 7. Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong so this is a miracle right this is miraculous we've got 40 years of a lame man now he's leaping he's shouting he's dancing he's never walked a day in his life and he's leaping so we need to ask a couple of questions how does this happen how does this happen? Peter's actually going to begin his sermon with an explanation. But what we see, and you can write this in the blank, we see that it happens by faith in Jesus' name. Chapter 3, verse 16, that's what Peter says. He's explaining. He's like this. This didn't happen because of us. This happened because of, verse 16, in his, and His name, by faith in His name. That's how it happened. By faith in Jesus' name, this man is now strong. That's how it happens. How do miracles happen? By faith in the name of Jesus. Next question we need to ask is, who's doing this? Who's ultimately responsible for it? Who who is the active agent in a healing, in a miracle? Who is the question? And this one doesn't get answered directly directly. Uh, until chapter 4, uh, verse 30. We'll look at that in a moment. But indirectly, Peter says, don't look at us. This wasn't us. As if by our power or our piety, this man's been healed. It's not on us. So Peter's deflecting the attention, deflecting the glory for a miracle. He's saying, don't look at me. I did not do this. So then the question is, who did it? Well, look in Acts 4. The church has prayed. they gathered together after an interrogation, which we'll talk about next week. And look at what they say. Uh, Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. Verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So let me ask you, the question is, who? Who did it? What is is in the prayer right there in verse 30? Who did the healing? Peter says, while you stretch out your hand to heal. Isn't that amazing? He's very clear on who is doing the healing work. It's not any man. It's not Peter and by the power of his outstretched hand. No, it's the power of God Almighty. That's who's doing the work. Third question we have to ask is why? Why? If you you wanted an answer for who, this is what I have written. You might want to write this, but it's who did it? Well, it's by the hand of God through the hands of his people in the name of Jesus. That's what we see in verse 30. By the hand of God through the hands of his people. In the name of Jesus. Now why did they do this? Why this miracle? Why is a miracle necessary? And the reason this question is relevant is this. How long has this guy sat there? You can answer. How long has he sat there? 40 years. 40 years. The Bible tells us he was there every day. Right? They laid him there daily. So you're talking about a man who's been picked up. And carried over. And laid down there every day. So. Um, make no mistake. This is not the first time Peter and John have walked past this guy. They've gone to Solomon's portico every day. They've gone there all the time. So the big question is why? Why now? Why in this moment? What's the point? What, why? And I don't pretend to know all the answers. We trust the sovereignty of God. But here's one thing we do know. The effect of this healing is for the praise of God. That's the ultimate why all praise belongs to God. Look at what happens. The man who's been healed, he's not mistaken about who did it or even how it was done. And he knows why. When he gets to his feet, he's leaping and doing what? Praising God. Verses eight and nine, it says it twice. Everybody's astonished and amazed that he's praising God. He knows who did it. He knows how it was done. And he knows why it's done for the praise of God. That's the miracle. Crippled legs made strong. There's a few more things we can notice here. I just don't want to skip past them. I just want to say um, we should look at Peter as an example to us in how um, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and look where he wants us to look. For some reason, Peter didn't walk past him on this day. For some reason on this day, he set his gaze on this lame man. And I would say it's because the Holy Spirit within him said, I want you to look. I wanted to give your attention. And then when the moment was right, he said, now I want you to tell him to get up. And Peter obeyed. And here's what I want to say. Um, Jesus said, lift up your eyes. The fields are white unto harvest. We've got to be willing to see what Jesus wants us to see. And I don't know about you, but this passage has been really convicting to me. Because there are times in my life where I literally will turn my head to not see a need. I will look away so that I don't engage with my eyes. There's something about seeing the need that pulls you into it, right? There's something about locking eyes with someone in need that makes you feel compelled to step into their world. And what I want us to know is that Peter doesn't just skip past this man's felt need to get to his spiritual need. He doesn't skip over it. He lets the Spirit of God lead him through it. He's willing to press into a felt need, a real physical need, to get to a spiritual, deeper need. And as a church, as a people, we've got to be willing to get messy with people, right? got to be willing to see... What Jesus wants us to see and let that sight lead us into action to lean into it. The next thing just from right there that I, I see is that, um, you know, Peter has just preached to a huge crowd, thousands of people that just baptized thousands of people. And then the next story is a focus on a one man who's a lowly outcast. But the individual was not too small for Peter to give his time. It's not just a crowd mentality. Jesus says, I want you to put your eyes right here. I want you to reach your hand out right there. I want you to touch this one. And that one matters. I love that. So we see the miracle. Crippled legs made strong. And then the message. The message is this. Crooked lives made straight. Crooked lives made straight. Get this word crooked from Peter's last sermon in Acts 2, verse 40. He says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Crooked. So now he's preaching to this crowd that's gathered and he begins his sermon um, and he's speaking to them about um, how their crooked lives can be made straight. How can your crooked life, meaning your, your sinful nature, be made right? We talk about the gospel here all the time. Even Stephen, a week or so, referenced it this way, that bad people can be made right with a good God through Jesus Christ. That's a simple way that we've learned to remember the gospel, right? And in this sermon, Peter's going to do the very same thing. He's just going to reorder things a bit. And here's what he teaches us. I want us to, I'm going to give you the three main bullet points. And then uh, I want you to really focus into each Layer, But here's the layers of Peter's sermon. Here they are. The first one is the glory of the Savior, Jesus. The glory of the Savior. The second aspect, the second layer of Peter's sermon is the guilt of the sinner. The guilt of the sinner. And the third layer is the gospel that saves and satisfies. And what I want us to see is in this scripture... This is the way Peter preaches. You know, every time you read the Bible, you ought to read first to discover what does this teach me about God? That's the main purpose of this whole book is to reveal God to you. This is the revelation of our creator and our redeemer. This is how we know him. So when you read scripture, your first look should be, what do I see in here about God? in in this text about Jesus. So here's some things. I'm going to give you six. I'm going to go quickly. Are you ready? If you're going to write them down, here they are. We see that Jesus is first glorified by God. Look at the scripture. In verse 13, Peter says the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified Jesus. Jesus is glorified by God. Secondly, he's the servant of God. That's what that scripture says. God of our fathers, he glorified his servant, Jesus. What does that mean that he glorified his servant? Well, a servant is sent on a mission and is perfectly obedient. That's Jesus. All through his ministry, he says, I'm I'm sent by the Father. I'm sent, and so I send you. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I'm his servant. Peter affirms that Jesus is the servant of God. Thirdly, he's the holy and righteous one. Look at what the scripture says. Peter says in verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one. One. Now these are Old Testament, Old Covenant words. These are prophetic words for the coming Messiah. And here's what Peter's saying. You guys have been waiting all your life for the one that God's going to send. And when God finally sent him, the Holy One, the Righteous One, God finally sent him, you denied him. You've rejected the Messiah you've been waiting all your life for. He's the holy and righteous one. Fourth, he's the author and source of life. Peter says in verse 15, you killed the author of life. This is who Jesus is. Next, he's the resurrected king. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Who is Jesus? He's the resurrected king. This is the reason we preach and work in the name of Jesus. We don't do that in the name of a dead man. He's alive and he is working. He's the resurrected king. He is, sixth, the fulfillment of prophecy and the final prophet. Peter says, God, it's about him, verse 21. That God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. In fact, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. So Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy and he is the final prophet. That's who Jesus is. And this sermon is to glorify the Savior. Now that's put in contrast with the guilt of the sinner. The guilt of the sinner. I want you to see also six things quickly, going quickly through these. Ready? Peter says, You delivered Jesus over. He even says in verse 13, You're worse than a pagan ruler, Pilate. Pilate was ready to turn him loose, Pilate wanted to set him free, but you, you turned him over. You're worse than Pilate. Then he says, You've denied Jesus' deity. You've denied that He's the Messiah in verse 14. you denied He's the Holy and Righteous One. Third, you chose a murderer rather than the rescuer. Get that. Peter's saying to them, you said give us Barabbas, a known murderer. Give us the one who takes life. And we want you to kill the one who gives life. Turn loose the taker of life and kill the rescuer of life. You chose a murderer rather than the rescuer. You killed the one who gave you life is what he says in verse 15. You've actually killed the one who breathed life into your body. One of the greatest ironies of the crucifixion of Jesus and the Bible tells us that Jesus actually sustains our life. So every breath you breathe Everybody do this with me. Jesus let you do that. One of the greatest ironies of the crucifixion is the very men who slung the hammer. Jesus was putting the strength into their arms, He was allowing and empowering their murderous activity. He's that sovereign. You killed the one who gave you life, Peter says. Then he says, you act in ignorance. Verse 17 and verse 19, he says, you are a sinner. You need your sins blotted out. When he uses that word sin, what he's saying is you have offended the God of the world. Through your life and your actions and your rejection, you have sinned against the holy God. And then lastly, in verse 26, he says... In way of inference, he says, um, Jesus has come to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So the implication there is that you are wicked. That's the last one. You are wicked. So we've got the glory of the Savior and the guilt of the sinner. And they're, they're obviously in contrast to one another. This is where the gospel comes in. This is the beauty of this message. And here it is. The gospel that saves and satisfies. Peter says. One of the most hopeful passages in verse 19. He says repent therefore. Now before I move on. I want us to hear this as it flows. Peter has said God sent Jesus to save you. But you murdered him. This verse then. Is where. Peter is now extending mercy. We, we often think of this call to repent as like a, a hard preacher is preaching like hellfire brimstone. Repent! You know. But this message from Peter is full of mercy. Here's what he's saying You killed the one who came to save you, but you can still be saved. Repent, therefore, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's the message. It's hopeful. It's good news. It's the gospel that in spite of your guilt, you can be forgiven through Jesus. Next part of his message is that your sins may be blotted out. Here's the truth. Isaiah says that your sins have made you red, like crimson. But the blood of Jesus can wash you white as snow. When the scripture says your sins can be blotted out, what he means is that your transgressions that are listed out in great detail, your sin listed out in great detail can be wiped away like a dry erase board, can be blotted out before a holy God. That's great news. Forgiveness is the love, it's the heart of the gospel message. Jesus isn't mainly our example. I hope we know that. Like when we read the scriptures, we don't just look to Jesus as our example. Oh, how should I live? Well, let me look to Jesus for an example. He is certainly that. But he's not mainly your example. He's mainly your substitute. He's the one who stands before God in your place and says, I'll die for a guilty man. I'll take his punishment, blot out his sins, and kill me in his place. Jesus isn't mainly our example. He's mainly our substitute. And it's through him our sins can be blotted out. The good news of the gospel is that refreshing comes. Just like the lame man's legs are made strong and he leaps for joy. The heart of a a sinner that's made whole leaps in refreshing in joy in being filled with the Spirit of God. It's it's joy. It's exciting. It's great because you've been set free. The crippled legs from the miracle pour over into the crooked hearts that need and crooked lives that need to be redeemed and rescued. That's what Peter's doing. He's, He's playing on what they've seen. What you've seen is a man who was not just broke. He wasn't just out of money. He was broken. And through the power of Jesus, he's been made whole. And then Peter's taking what they've seen and bringing it right in front of their eyes and going, you don't know it, but you're broken. You are guilty men who need your sin. out. The only way it's going to happen is in the name, by faith in the name of Jesus. The same way he was made strong, you can be saved. There's a warning that comes next in his message. After the good news of the gospel, here's the warning. Peter actually says, Jesus is the final prophet. And here's the warning. Listen or be destroyed. That's pretty graphic, right? It's right here in the text. Verse 23. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Listen, I didn't make it up. It's probably not how I would say it, it's a little strong. But Peter said, Listen to Jesus or you'll be destroyed. That is a strong warning. Now, it's on the heels of the best news you could ever hear. That your sin can be forgiven. Jesus died in your place. But if you won't listen, you will not be forgiven. And you will be destroyed. And then Peter ends his message with a promise of blessing. He says that the covenant of Abraham. The promise that God will bless you and all the families of the earth. That covenant is fulfilled in Christ. And the, the fulfillment of blessing is... That by the grace of Jesus, you can be turned from your wickedness. By the grace of Jesus, you can actually repent of your sin and be turned from your wickedness. So this is his sermon. It's the glory of the Savior, the guilt of the sinner, and the gospel that saves and satisfies. So here's two takeaways for us today. First, Christian in the room. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear this open your eyes, see the broken, see the hurting. Listen to the Lord and reach in with the power of the gospel. Don't be afraid to engage the brokenness of this world with the power of the gospel. Jesus is still saving. So, reach into the hurting and proclaim the glory of Christ, the guilt of men, and the gospel that saves. And to unbelievers in the room, if you've never turned to Jesus, there's an old hymn. It's just down in my heart Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light. His grace. Look to Jesus. He's the only hope for any of us. And here's my call to you if you've never become a Christian, if you've never trusted in Christ, repent and find rest and refreshing in Jesus Christ alone.